Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed of openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode four of Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today I have a conversation with Seth's mom, Jolyn Van Wynen. Seth was killed in 2007 when he was struck by a car. Jolyn and I talk about Seth and how her Christian faith has made it possible for her to feel joy again, even after such a devastating loss. Seth's death led Jolyn and her husband Greg to found Starlight Ministries, a Christ-based organization offering support groups for grieving children and their families. Their message, along with mine, is to offer hope when everything seems hopeless. For more information and a link to the Starlight Ministries website, please go to my website, andysmom.com. Also, connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at alwaysandysmom. Please continue to spread the word about the show to anyone you think would benefit. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming in today, JoLynn. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem. Love to be here. Um, I'm going to start out just kind of how I've always started out and have you tell me about your son, Seth. Thank you for asking. I just love being able to um, talk about him and, and remember him. Uh, Seth was uh, five years old when we first met him, actually. He and his biological brother, Luke, were in an orphanage in Siberia, in Russia. And we were in the process of adopting um, both of them. And they were four years old and five years old. Uh, Seth was five at the time and just tiny. He was just such a little guy. Beautiful, beautiful um, blue eyes um, and this blonde hair. But the thing that I loved the most about him was his little voice. He had a really raspy voice. And um, and could never pronounce his R's correctly. And it was the sweetest thing ever. We had him in speech therapy um, the entire time we had him at school. And I remember telling the speech teacher, don't work on the R's too much because it's so sweet. And she's like, well, when she when he gets to uh, middle school, it won't be so sweet, Jolyn. But, um, but he did. He had this the sweetest um, heart. He had a heart um, that was so tender and um, compassionate, you know, truly, because he was so concerned about other people all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he would talk about his Russia mom and ask me several times, Mom, what would happen if she dies? She doesn't know Jesus. I, I want her to know Jesus. And so we would pray for her a lot. And um, one of my favorite favorite stories of Seth um, was the day he accepted Jesus in his heart. And I can I can picture it yet today. We were in our playroom and I was reading him a book and we were sitting next to each other on this oversized chair. And um, 
we were reading this book about animals or something and he started talking about who made the animals and and I was you know just going through that story with him and he finally said mom where does Jesus live and I says well you know honey Jesus can live in your heart if you want to. And he was so excited. And he's like, how do I get him there? I want him there. I want him to come to my heart. And so here he is, this little boy, sitting on the arm of the chair. And I I said, well, all you have to do is ask. And so he folds his hands really tight, and his eyes are squinting shut. And he goes, what do I do now, Mom? And I said, honey, all you have to say is, I love you, Jesus. And could you come into my heart? And he did. And Marcy, the next thing that he did, the very first thing he said is that he opened his eyes and he goes, mom, I'm all warm inside. Oh, and it was so sweet. The sweetest. He had just the sweetest heart. And uh, so there are so many things about him that I just miss desperately. But, um, but teaching him what a family was, you know, being from an orphanage, he and, and Luke didn't really know what family right. was. And so teaching them that when, when they're hurt, you come to mom and dad and we can help you rather than just staying on the floor and crying and not coming and telling us what's wrong. And it was only six months before he died where I knew that I knew he understood what family was. Um, we were had him at the dentist office, and he was he was just such a wimp when it came to pain. I mean, seriously, this kid was such a whiner. And um, so he came. He had this dental work done, and he came out, and he came running up to me, and um, jumped into my lap, and just held me and clutched onto me. And that was the first time that I knew that he understand stood what I was there for. So it was a beautiful moment. He was a beautiful child. How long was he in the orphanage? Um, he was dropped off when he was one year old, mm-hmm. and then uh, with so his four baby years. brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was there for four years, and uh, yeah, and it was you know it's a different type of love that they give in Eastern um, European countries like that. It's very much a our love is shown by we give you food, we give you water, we give you a place to eat, but there's right. no not a lot of touching and hugging and holding and just loving on them you know they were loving but it was um just a different type of love so it was that has been one of the things that we have had to try to show them when we first brought them home Yeah, you wonder too if having a number of kids first of all would make you maybe not have enough time for that and then and then secondly you know, it might be hard if you got super close to some of those kids when they leave. Very true. So it's hard to know if it's exactly totally cultural or a lot of um, self protection. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's great to so, be able to yeah. kind of learn a little bit more. So how many kids do you have? Well, always the 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 question. Of I know moms, we you know love and hate. You know, right? I don't know what talk we to Stephanie say. quite a bit about that. Yes. Right about her quadruplets. Exactly. Yeah, no exactly. longer. I mean, certainly never being triplets. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have my husband and I have eight children all together. Five of them are adopted, and three are biological. And um, so Seth and Luke were our first international adoptions, and uh, yeah, so. We have eight with um, with all of them together. 
How how old are they all now? Uh, they range from 24 to 11. Oh, so that's quite the range. Yeah. <laughs> It is. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> so um, tell me about what happened to Seth. Yeah. Um, it was in 2007. Um, Seth uh, was 10 years old at the time. And we, my husband, Greg, and I were gone for the weekend um, with our brother and sister-in-law. And our babysitter had three of the kids. Um, had our oldest, Caleb, and he was 13, and then Seth at 10, and then our Andrew was nine years old at the time. And so our babysitter was watching them for the weekend for us. Uh, she asked if she could take the, the boys to her brother's soccer game. He was in the um, state championship soccer game at mm-hmm. the school, mm-hmm. and he was the goalie. And, and we're like, of course, you know, take the, take the boys. They would love it. I'm sure they were excited. They, Yeah, very, very excited. So they went to the game. Um, their team won, and they were all excited. And Carrie, who was our sitter, um, had a hold of our youngest son, Andrew's hand. And where they had parked, it was across the street from a um, divided highway type of thing. Not mm-hmm. a highway. It was a road, two-lane road. Two and so Caleb and Seth ran on ahead of Carrie and Andrew, and they crossed the first road and got to the median. And Carrie yelled up ahead to him and said, um, "Hey guys, wait in the median until I get there." And um, Caleb stayed in the median, and Seth kept on running and uh, crossed the street and um, got to the middle of that second road and had heard the car horns honking, and he stopped right in the middle of the lanes, the two lanes. So he was semi-safe at that point because he was, you know, standing in the middle of that road. And so cars But probably panicky, just a little. To, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Very much. But he froze. The, that's the thing. The people that witnessed it said that he froze and he didn't move. And... Um, it was as if he stood there for a few seconds, and then it was as if he charged, was running towards somebody to get across the street. And at that point, it was when he was hit by a car. Um, his um, little body um, was hit and broken. And um, But, you know, Marcy, I, I look at that day, and it's a horrible memory obviously and I'm so glad that I didn't have to witness it right but um it's a hard thing to witness it is hard you know Mm -hmm. and um but I I choose to look at that day um not as the day that we lost Seth because to me that's too hard for my heart to handle right um when people said that he had stopped and he froze um the thing about Seth is is that being from Russia, there's some triggers that had happened before that we did not understand. Um, one of them is whenever a car horn would honk, he would freeze. And so we don't know what had happened before, but it was just always had happened in the, in front of our house that if a car would go by and it would honk its horn, he would just freeze. And he would be in this trance-like. And um, so if he would be playing basketball or something with with his friends and the ball rolled out and the car came and honked its horn, he would freeze. And we, and then I said to him, okay, now bud, you can go and get it. 
So it was not uncommon for him when he heard that car horn that day right. to freeze in trance. He, if he would have stayed there, the only thing is, is it was only when he heard his name that he got out of that trance. And mm-hmm. um, I will forever believe that he that Jesus was calling his name across the street that day, and he ran right into his arms. I mm. will forever look at that day as the day he ran into Jesus' arms because that's what happened. I have I have no doubt. And so, you know, people ask the stupidest questions, you know, where they... Oh, yes. And a lot of times they ask, you know, are you upset that he, that he ran on ahead? And I'm like, the last thing that our son did on this earth was heard his name and he obeyed the call. How can I be upset with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... So I have to look at that day like that... Um, rather than the day some ugly accident happened because it was a beautiful moment where he got to meet him for the first time. How long did it take you to feel that one? <laughs> very good question. <laughs> a very I long know, time. <laughs> I know you did not feel that way right away. Oh, heavens no. No. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it was probably a couple years later where I finally went back to the accident um, scene. Wow. And, um, and it was at that point where, um, you know, I, I, I parked the car where, where the accident happened and, um, it was, I, I was anticipating it to be very difficult, but it, it was eerily very peaceful. It was very, it was holy. I mean, I, when I talk to people about Seth and our story, that is a holy place and that is a holy story. And, and when people share their stories with me, I see the same thing. It's just very holy. And so seeing that place where that happened, where he got to meet Jesus for the first time, is, it was a holy place. Now, prior to that, it was a very ugly place. You know? Oh, I, I mean, I can't, I don't want to. Honestly say, I can't imagine yeah. feeling that. Um, we just had... Labor Day weekend, and I took the kids up north to our cottage. And unfortunately, we have to go on that highway past the accident site every time Mm -hmm. we go up. And again, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. traffic was horrible given Labor Day weekend. And so we were in stopped traffic, and I was basically stopped at the accident site. And I just was completely freaked out. The kids didn't know what to do. And I said, please just talk to me. Talk to me about anything. I don't care. Absolutely. You need to start talking to me. I'm, you know, I'm seeing the sign that we blew through. I'm seeing Mm -hmm. where he died exactly. And, and I just, I I hope that someday I can feel that peace going yeah. by there, but it now, took a long time. Oh, now I no. can't. I can't. No. I mean, early on, there was a day we went up probably the third time we went past. I had to have Eric pull off the side of the road, and I actually you know vomited oh, because I was feeling sick. so yeah. sick to see that. I mean, for a oh. while there was a little memorial there and it may honestly still be there, but mm-hmm. now the grass has grown up so tall that they would not be able to um you know, they haven't mowed around yeah. it and and I kind of wish I could go back. Eric and I did 
about a week after the accident, we oh went goodness, there really? and saw still the oh. patches that they used to try oh, to get I his see. heart beat back. A lot of pieces of our car. Oh. People had put pieces there. Some A woman had taken the part of the sign, the um, post wooden post of the sign and tied two pieces into a cross and oh, put it there. Mercy. Someone else had a little angel with a soccer ball and flowers. None of this yeah. was my family. I didn't know anyone who did this, but it was quite a nice little memorial. Yeah. But in general, I'm not able to stop there mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, it would be hard, but the second one is it feels so unsafe to me right? because it's such a busy road and I it would just... It, you know, I just would envision something mm-hmm. happening again, right, right there. So, well, I, I just feel really bad that you have to go past that so many times. You know, because thankfully, where Seth was hit, it's on the other side of town, so I don't ever have to go over there unless it's by my doctor. It's by my doctor's office. So then, when I go to the doctor's office, if I'm in the right mode or mood, I'll go. But I don't have to go to the scene. So that's where it probably has helped me a lot too because I could do mm-hmm. a lot of the processing away from the the scene um, going past the cemetery that you know he's buried right by our house and so right. going past the cemetery is very difficult um, was at the beginning but we blow kisses every every time we go past and um, we have a special needs little daughter uh, from Guatemala and um, every time we go past she um, blows a kiss and says um, hi Seth today so um, that's gotten a little bit better, but that, those first few years are just so raw, and it's just so deep and dark and heavy. For me, I, I explain my grief as um, it's just heavy on my chest. So, right. like when you go to the dentist and you get that um, X-ray um, apron on when they right, take a- right. aprons or take X-rays. And they lay it on your chest, and it's that heaviness. And for me, that's how I explain how my my grief is. That's a great explanation, and, um, actually, because it just it physically feels heavy. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that those first few years were just brutal. Um, but we had support like nothing else. And um, and Greg and I really leaned into each other, even though we we grieved differently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am so thankful to God that he had saved us. Um, yeah, I know. So. And, and you know, Eric and I certainly had conversations early on because we know that of the number of marriages that don't mm-hmm. survive right. the loss of a child. And again, I think that is because parents grieve very differently. Absolutely. Moms and dads grieve differently. I mean, people in general do, but... You know, there is a huge difference between a mom and a dad, Mm -hmm. and um, I can understand that it might be hard to see that other side. Mm -hmm. Um, But even though that was the case, Eric and I really did cling to each other and and have been. And even though there are, uh, I, I would say even now, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I desperately don't want Eric to have a bad day. And mm-hmm. so I end up not opening up as yes. I should. Yeah. And he feels the exact same way. I know. And it's not what we should do. And we know that. And in fact, Eric, in the last week or two, 
even admitted that to me. And we talked about how we shouldn't do that because we're both mm-hmm. feeling bad. Right. Like you said, the Absolutely. apron, that lead apron does not come off. Exactly. So I'm always feeling bad. So, you know, know, you might as well right. open up and make yourself feel a little better. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Because, um, and I don't know about how you guys... But um, for me, I was I was constantly at home, you know, because I had at that time I was actually six months pregnant with our youngest um, the day of the accident, and we were in the process of adopting our last little girl, um, and so the four the uh, four other kids or five other kids went back to school, and then I just sat at home. Mm-hmm. And That's hard. It is hard to sit in that in that space. Um, I will never forget the the day that the kids went back to school, and at that time they were all middle or um, grade school and right. some in middle. <clears throat> and um, I would still make their lunches for them, and I made the lunches, got them ready for the bus, got them on the bus, and came back inside. And there was a lunch on the counter, and mm-hmm. I made six lunches, and yeah. uh, I fell totally apart. I. It was the wailing, you know, there's, there is the crying, there's the sobbing, and then there's the wailing. Yeah. I think that us moms We talked do. about that as, as lament. Oh, exactly. And here I am, my big six month pregnant self, uh, walking back in and seeing that one lunch, um, on the counter and I fell to the floor and I just wailed and I cried out to God. And I'm like, I can't do this. Don't ask me to do this. I know it's in your power to raise him from the dead. I know you could do that. So please, I mean, there were things that I was begging for. Oh, absolutely. So two hours went by and I'm begging for him not to make me have to do this every single day. Mm -hmm. And two hours later, Marcy, um, this woman gives me a call from our school and I knew her, but it wasn't, it was acquaintance. And she says, Jolyn, I really don't um, know why I'm calling, but I have this overwhelming sense that God wants me to make your kids as lunches for you for the next several months. And I'm like, what an answer to prayer. Are you kidding me? Are you I mean, God was so present, right? In the details, in in that ugly space, he was there. And it was just, sometimes it was so overwhelming, just his presence. Um, And you need that in those dark, dark times. You need little things Mm -hmm. to help um, pick you up Mm -hmm. when you feel like you just can't go on. Yeah. Yeah, because there are definitely those moments that you think... I can't, I can't do it. And I don't want to. Right. Right. And it's just those ma- it's those choices. Can I get up out of bed? Can I at least be out of bed for today? <laughs> I don't want to just stay in bed today. And then the next day, can I at least just get dressed today? <laughs> and you know, he kind of God really kind of shoved us back into life um quickly because I was 6 months pregnant and Three months later, three months to the day, um, on February 4, we gave birth to Ben, and um, we named him Benjamin Seth. And I will never forget the words that our doctor said to me, and he said, as he's handing me Benjamin to me, he goes, three months ago today, you had to say goodbye to one son, but today you get to hold another. And it wasn't to take a place of him at all, but... um, 
it was just it, it was just how our life story you know played itself out is that it was kind of pushed back into mm-hmm. into life you know for the well, other and five it, kids and it and, did keep you really busy yeah for obviously sure. with a new one for sure mm-hmm. yeah so well uh, i want you to tell talk to me about um Starlight Ministries mm-hmm. and the story of how that began yeah. because you really started that. Um you know, it was it was kind of a kicking and screaming kind of a um calling because um so like I had mentioned, we had um the accident happened November four, Ben was born February four, and that next August, um we went to Guatemala and picked up our little girl um from Guatemala and she was two at the time. And so by September, uh, we're talking about nine, month nine or so, we were exhausted. Greg and I were just thoroughly exhausted with the emotional roller coaster that grief is, but then on top of it, a new baby and a new toddler. And so we, our community had a grief uh, camp for children. And... Um, they should never really put the word grief and camp together. I no, always thought no. that was so weird, but right. it, it, but it is, that's what they called it. So we forced our six, our older five kids to go to grief camp because we just needed a break. And um, I'm sure they were not excited. Oh, about it, they, honestly. they did not want to go. I mean, it was on the other side of the town. They didn't know anybody that was going to be there mm-hmm. and they knew that they were going to have to talk about their brother. I mean, who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like my kids going to Starlight originally. Right. They did not want to go. Absolutely. And my daughter is great there now, but my son is still mm-hmm. not great. Absolutely. And and it's different times for the different kids, you know, that it's going to be helpful for. So anyway, we brought them to the grief camp. It was a day-long camp. And when they were done, we went and picked them up. And I will never forget it because our oldest daughter is one that doesn't share her feelings a lot. It's just how she's created and and love her dearly. Um, But she was really sobbing hard when we picked her up. And she finally admitted to me, she goes, Mom, I'm not the only one having nightmares. And with oh. her being at that camp and sharing and hearing, she may not have shared a thing. She may have just listened the entire day. Which is then, what you probably e- guessed. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And But for her to know that she's not alone, she it was just overwhelming. And it was um, very convicting to us is that how helpful it was to these kids to be around other kids that are going through similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so then we went and looked to see if there was anything that was available that was Christian-based and that was more just than one day long. And we couldn't find a place. And for three weeks, uh, God kept on whispering to my heart, "You, I want you to make that place. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you snotting kidding me? I am not in any position to look at doing something on that magnitude. I am tired. I have this newborn. I have a toddler that doesn't speak English for Pete's sakes. I cannot start a ministry or or do anything like that. So for three weeks, I heard his voice. And finally, after the third week, I thought, okay, Greg is the logical. I'm the emotional. I tell Greg something like this and he's going to say, honey, you're not hearing that right. Don't worry about it. I'm sure that that's not what you're hearing. That's what I was banking on. Right. So 
the day came and I, I said to him, honey, okay, this is what I'm feeling. And I need for you to put, um, a kibosh on it because I don't want to do this. And I told him that God was calling us to begin some sort of place for kids and families to grieve together. After I explained to him what I thought that he was saying, that God was saying to me, he fell on the bed and he started sobbing. And it's the first time that I had seen him cry in a very long time since Seth died. And I'm like, dude, that's not the reaction I was looking for. <laughs> and he goes, no, you, you don't understand, honey, because God was telling me the exact same thing. And I just couldn't say it to you because I couldn't ask you to do something like that. And I'm oh. like, oh, my flipping stars. I cannot even imagine. I, I never thought that that would have been the reaction that he'd give me. So we were like, okay, now what do we sit with this? You know, what do we do with this? And and we got together with uh, the um, leader, director of the camp that the kids went to. And we talked to her and she herself was a, is a Christian. And she actually has been on our board of directors um, as well for a time. And she thought that it was a fantastic idea. Sent us to um, another grief and education center down in St. Joseph um, called Lori's Place. And we talked to the director there, and she is a um, Christian as well. And she was so excited about the the possibility of having a Christ-based grief and education center. And Because so, it is so much different when you feel like and know that your child is in heaven. Absolutely. As opposed to not. Mm-hmm. And, and to leave that piece out... Is just it we just couldn't. I couldn't I and we were actually signed up for a different grief support group that was much closer mm-hmm. to us than Starlight is and um, Eric filled out all the paperwork I got a call from the woman who was very nice um, and I I said I just don't think I can do that. I feel like I need it to be Christ-based. And part of why I needed that is because I felt my faith kind of faltering. Well, absolutely. So it wasn't that I was, I, I mean, I just wasn't in the place right. that you certainly are now. And even that I feel like I am now, um, I, I was just so, was, I was angry with God and upset. And, and then I thought if I go to a place where I grieve without faith, it was scary scary. to me. Absolutely. And um, like I said, they were very sweet. She was very nice. Mm -hmm. I explained that to her. She said there are a lot of Christians here because, I mean, frankly, Grand Rapids is a really Christian community. But she said, we want to be all inclusive. And I absolutely, totally understand Mm -hmm. that. And agree that that Absolutely. that there is a place for that too for sure. because not everyone is Feels a christian exactly. and they don't feel that they need that um but for me i felt like i had to have yeah. that even though it was going to be a lot less convenient yes, exactly. for us to exactly. do that yeah it was that had to be our first and foremost foundation is that it's christ based because that's the hope a lot of these families come to us with no hope anymore and that is a scary place not only is it scary for them but for their kids and it, you know am i going to be able to 
do life again. Oh, know? right. I, I kept using the phrase, I will never yeah. mm-hmm. a lot. And Eric got upset with me and uh-huh. said, I can't hear that from you. Yeah. You know, when I said, I will never feel joy, oh. he said, I can't hear you say that mm-hmm. because if I start to believe that you mean that, then, then it's, it's lost. This, you right? know, it's so interesting, Marcy, that you bring up joy because soon after Seth died, um, I'm a typically joy filled person, mm-hmm. um, gen, you know, generally. And I had talked to another mom who had a child who had died uh, years before. And I had asked her that. I says, have you ever experienced joy again? And she says, you know, Jolene, I haven't. And that scared me to the core. And so I want to be able to share that you can have joy again. It's and people said, Oh, you're gonna have just bittersweet joy. And and I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh, I, I don't like bittersweet nothing. I don't like bittersweet chocolate. I don't like bittersweet. <laughs> I don't think that God creates bittersweet anything. I what I explain it is it's I had joy before Seth died, and I have joy after Seth died. It's just different. It looks different. Right. It's still you're still able to have it, but it just looks different. Because you are a changed because person. Because you are totally a different person. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard thing for people to wrap their heads around because they they have to re-identify themselves all over because they are totally different. So they have to figure out who they are again, not only as a mom, how many kids do I have? Right. Or if it's a spouse, I'm, I'm not longer a wife or I'm not longer a husband. That whole identity thing is wrapped up in all of this grief as well. Right. But God is in that and wants to help you and help you um, figure that out. And even through the times when I'm angry at him and mad that he took away Seth and because I'm sure those times still come. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Abs- I mean, it just happened the other couple of months ago where one of Seth's friends, he, Seth would have been 21 now, and one of Seth's, I bumped into one of Seth's friends' moms at a restaurant, and her son was getting married. And oh. it just... And I'm so happy for them. And it's and it's the way that life is and life keeps going on. But inside, I was just like, oh, that's something that I will never get. Right. So it does. Those things come and you get, you, get, you just get through it. You know, yeah. what else are you going to do? <laughs> there, yeah, there's no choice. There's, there's no choice. Mm-hmm. There, There is a choice in the sense that how am I going to respond to well, it? Well, absolutely, yeah. There's no choice of whether or not he's going to come back or not, but the choice of being able to know how am I going to respond to it. And I hope that's what Starlight can do for people is that it can show them that they do have a choice in how they choose to live and that there is hope and that there is joy after something so terrible that has happened to them. Yeah, and you talk about purpose and and kind of what you are, and I feel like I, I am a caregiver. Mm-hmm. That is what I am. And I felt so much like I lost my purpose in that I was no longer mother of three children. I was no longer practicing as a pediatrician because it was just too painful Mm -hmm. to see kids and to see whole families. But I am still a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why I felt very called now to do this. And, um, 
And encouraged. Again, you know, it's funny that you talk about your husband encouraging you because my, Eric so encouraged me to do it, this. And I, because I brought it up, I said, you know, there isn't, isn't a podcast for that is specifically for grieving parents. And at first he didn't believe me, which I've said on this <laughs> show before, but um, he looked and there wasn't. And, and I don't even know what possessed me to tell him this. I said, I think I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know what his response would be at all, but it was, and I, I, I guess I thought he probably would encourage me only because he does have his own podcast. Sure. But it was a different response than I expected because he he thought about it for a few days, maybe a week, and he came back to me and he said, Marcy, I have been thinking more about your podcast and I think the reason I started my podcast is because God wanted you to start one and he wanted me to learn how to do do it it. so I could teach you because yours is way more important than mine. Um, And the number of people that you can touch and, and um, care for really is not, it's not what he's doing. He's doing some more education and Mm -hmm. it's fun for him and it's awesome and he loves it. But as far as real purpose, he felt like that was the ultimate purpose of his podcast was so that I could do one. Isn't it amazing when you can see the possible, how God is playing chess with your life like that and figuring out how, you know, just looking in the back, looking back and seeing how he's orchestrating your life. You know, how many years ago did Eric start this podcast? And that was in preparation probably for you, like he said. And it just, that blows my mind how... Because I never, ever would have dreamed of doing it had Eric not done one. Exactly. Never. Exactly. And I do feel like this can help people. Absolutely. And and help people just be able to cope and Mm -hmm. others be able to understand a little bit and help. And to know that they're not alone. And that they're not, and that it's not, you know, there's still hope that they can still live. I think that's the most overwhelming um, feeling I get from families is that they just want to know that their life can still be good um, even mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing here is giving that to them and giving them hope that, you know what, she's done this and gone through this. Uh, you know, and the other thing is, is this can be done in your own home mm-hmm. because it took a lot of bravery for us to go to Starlight mm-hmm. that first time. Oh. And had we not, you know, the reason we ended up being there was multifactorial, really. The, the first person that told us about Starlight was our funeral director. Oh, really? Um, he handed us um, What funeral some, home was that, Marcy? Oh, it's Metcalf. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, so just down the road. And he told us about Starlight. He handed us two pamphlets, the one for Starlight and the other one mm-hmm. that was that was non-Christian based, which is, mm-hmm. you know, excellent. Absolutely. And and I'd actually heard about that one as a pediatrician. Sure. Absolutely. Um and had recommended families going there. I had not heard of Starlight, but 
he focused more on Starlight because he saw the importance of faith in our family Mm -hmm. and the, you know, he, he, he was there Mm -hmm. and seeing this happen. So that's the one that he focused on. And then of course the other big one was my son was in the Grand Rapids choir of women boys and they sang at the funeral. And the day after they sang, they had their choir camp. They had choir camp every Tuesday and starlight actually came to the Mm. choir camp because there are a couple of dads that are pastors that knew about starlight. And so they had, Starlight come and do a little education kind of session mm-hmm. with them. All the boys made us cards that Aww. day. Um, they talked about Andy. They just talked about different things. And it, I mean, what a blessing. Wow. And to know that Starlight did that for our family without mm-hmm. knowing our mm-hmm. family at all. And so, so soon, it was only six days after he died, wow. you know, the day after the funeral. So, um, that was the second reason that made us think we should reach out. And then, mm-hmm. then I reached out to Gwen, tough phone call to make, Absolutely. um, but she was so uh, amazing, amazing. Such a gift. And then said that, you know, a session was starting really soon and we didn't, she didn't know if we'd be ready and, uh, but she spoke to us and, and my listeners have heard her. If you haven't, uh, she's episode mm-hmm. two and would be great to listen to. Um, but she invited us and we showed up then yeah. day 22. Oh. Um, and I wanted to run yes. out of the room. You know, that is, you are so right. You nailed it when you say it took so much courage to come because it's like, who wants to go and talk about this stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, who wants to go through into that pain? Because it is very painful. And, you know, grief is so physically demanding, but then emotionally is so, so much more. And so when you're going to a place like Starlight and you know that you're going to be talking about it and you know that it's going to be painful, it's really hard. And so when people come... You know, we are so thankful they do because it does take a lot of strength and bravery and courage to come. And hopefully when they get there, they they feel peace. And um, and not and right away. Is, yeah, and it is really helpful. It took me a little mm-hmm. while. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I probably wouldn't have even gone back the second week, mm-hmm. but Eric loved it so much. Uh, and Peter and Catherine and I were like, yeah, yeah. And, and, but Eric loved it. And I so wanted to, to support him okay. that I remember saying to the kids, we need to do this for dad. Mm-hmm. I know you don't like it, yeah, but we need to do it for dad. And, and fortunately for Peter, he had soccer the next week. Okay. And so he actually didn't Deep. even have to go. Yeah. Uh, but Catherine and I went really because we we loved Eric mm-hmm. and he needed it but if, you know later on we really felt like it was helpful and i there was there's another family who I'll be talking to later but um i remember that dad this is probably months after we started we started at the same time mm-hmm. their daughter died two days before Andy so we oh, were both wow. there super early but months later I remember him saying you know we we go in on Thursday nights and he said Thursday night's the only night I sleep 
all night. Really? Because he just felt so much peace after that he could sleep all night that night. Isn't that something? But other nights, he couldn't. Mm -hmm. So that's why it, he felt like he needed to come. At least he could sleep Thursday night. Exactly. Right. right? At least one of the seven. You know, that's, that's the thing I think with Starlight is that we, what we hope to have is, is help people process their grief. And a lot of times people don't know how to do that. People don't know what they need. You know, when you, when something like this happens and people say, you know, give me a call if you need something. We, we you'll never know. call. You'll yeah. never you, call. Right. And because, because you have no idea what you what need. You need. Mm-hmm. And you don't remember anything. One of the best things that um, somebody did for us was the night that we came home after Seth died. It wasn't a family friend of ours. Her husband and she um, had lost their child um, just six months prior to, to Seth dying. And she came and she brought me, it was just a notebook, a, 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 a notebook. And she says, you are going to forget everything. And she says, you need to have this with you all the time because you will not remember a thing. And she was right. I mean, I, I didn't remember anything. And so... And I had friends write everything down. Mm-hmm. Like when thing, people came and they brought things, everything was written down yeah. because I wouldn't remember uh, Absolutely. I, nothing. So we could write those thank you cards and things mm-hmm. like that, which occupied time Absolutely. honestly was all it really did right. she she took had pictures of andy brought him to costco mm-hmm. made ready-made thank you cards oh, sure. um we That's actually put gift. yeah i know i know she's actually it's my friend michelle wow. who um is going to be my next guest so oh. um because she lost her sister oh, when her wow. sister was a child okay so she understood as being a part of a family mm-hmm. that lost a child, what that's like. Mm-hmm. So I think it gave her a little more insight. Yeah. So she did that. She kept, she made those cards and we just would write on little sheets of paper. I mean, her goal was actually for us to write nothing, for us to just send yeah. it and not worry about it. But it occupied my time sure. to write tiny little notes. And of yeah. course, everyone had written down what people had done. So I used that list to right. to right. help me because I, like you said, I you wouldn't don't remember. remember. So no. tell me about some of the logistics mm-hmm. really of starting this ministry. Sure. So Greg and I, after we had talked to um, the two women about it, um, we um, started the process of creating a 501c3. At okay. that time, I'm like, I didn't even know what a 501c3 is, and um, but it's the the whole application process to um, to create a an organization, and so for the first year, it was mostly research and planning and filling out the paperwork, and mm-hmm. then we created our board of directors, and that was just um, family and friends sitting around a table. Sure. And then, um, so after a year of planning and preparing and praying, and um, we were able to open in January in 2010 and held our first group in January of 2010. And what was um, that group like? Well, it was it at the time it was just for kids because we thought it was going to be just for kids. We thought our three to five year plan could have been to incorporate um, adults. Um, So what it does, what it is, is that Starlight, uh, we offer age appropriate groups. So when a family comes in, uh, 
the younger kids all go together in one group and the middle schoolers all go together in one group and the high schoolers. And then um, six months later, we did in fact start um, adult programming. So then the adults are in their group. So we offer a meal at first mm-hmm. um, and that, that's optional and they can come and have a meal together as a family. And then after that, they go into their into their age appropriate groups. And we have a curriculum that uh, Gwen and um, others have created for us that mm-hmm. is um, Christ-based, biblically-based um, grief curriculum. And it just really, it kind of goes through how to process your grief. So there's different ways that people grieve, you know, just like people learn different ways, people grieve different ways. So you have to provide them different ways to be able to process their grief. And so there's different areas within Starlight where they can do that. One is a one room where they have their group together and they do all their talking. Another area is our craft area where they can come and they and they do a craft for the night. Um, for example, one time early on, we had these um, 3D, three-dimensional stars um, that we wanted the kids to paint. And we were like, we said to the kids, you know, just paint what your grief looks like. And to be totally honest, I thought it was going to fail big time because that's pretty obscure thought. Right, you know, right. what does your grief look like? And I'll never forget um, a high schooler, um, Olivia, she came to me and she says, Jolyn, I have no idea what you want. And I said to her, you know what? I don't really either. either. <laughs> so why don't you just have fun and paint it, you know, and um, and don't even think about your grief. Just paint it. And a half hour later, she came back to me, Marcy, with this star, with her star done. And it was all brightly colored, all different colors, the entire one, uh, the entire star was. But then she painted her hand black and she pressed her hand on top of the star in different directions. And I says, wow, Olivia, you did great. What, what, tell me about this. And she goes, Jolyn, actually, this is what I think my grief looks like. She says, my life is pretty good and it's happy for the most part, but my grief, my handprint touches every part of my life, but it just doesn't consume it. And I'm like, oh my stars. But it was that process, Marcy. It's that process of her not even really even thinking about her grief, but starting to paint and then making her realize that, yeah, you know what? my, My grief doesn't consume me. I still have a pretty good life. It touches everything, but it doesn't have to consume me. Right, and it's so, over top of everything absolutely. too. That was absolutely that's very key too. So I think there's you, you know, look through that lens. Oh, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so we have that craft room, and then we have what's called an asteroid room, which is um, a room where just to get their energy out. Um, it has big uh, bean bags and, and Nerf balls and telephone books that we can rip and bubble wrap to stomp on. Um, because sometimes these kids don't even have the words to know what they're feeling inside. They just know that they're just um, revved up. And a lot of times um, when they go in there, I kind of think that they're just going in there just to mess around, which is absolutely fine. And there was one time when I was there and this boy was just kicking the ball around, and we were just having fun. And and all of a sudden, he kicked the ball really, really hard, and then he fell onto the beanbag, and he just started sobbing. And I said, buddy, what's wrong? And he goes, I just remembered my dad was my soccer coach, and he died, and he will never be my soccer coach again. And I sat there, and I cried with him because it was just like, it, it was the process of doing something just so 
generic as kicking a ball that made him realize that he's not going to have that. But then he was at a place that was safe for him to be able to verbalize that. Right. And I said, because in general, they don't, I especially kids, they don't feel like they want to show that at all at school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of my kids and, um, so many times I pick my son up off the bus and he will tear up and cry about something that happened at school. But I mean, certainly Mm -hmm. he didn't, cry at school absolutely one of the uh, he had an assignment recently that he was supposed to write a poem and it was supposed to be about him and his life and he absolutely couldn't do it and he did sort of tear up in class he didn't think the other kids noticed but the teacher did and so let him go out in the hallway and he just said i can't do it because his life was so much andy Mm -hmm. that you know, it was, he couldn't write about his life and not write about his brother, which would have been fine right? to do. And he could have done the assignment, but he said, I can't do it without crying mm-hmm. and I don't want to cry in school. Yeah. So he wrote a great one about being a golf ball uh-huh. and golf. And it was really <laughs> lovely. Um, and his teacher was very understanding. Uh-huh. Um, his teacher had had Andy and apologize to me. I'm so sorry. I try to think about Peter and what he's going through before I make an assignment. And I, and I messed up and, and I said, Oh, you know, please don't apologize. It's, you know, you wouldn't have thought that. And, and other siblings may have very easily been able to write about their life and have it be okay because they weren't mm-hmm. writing about their family. Right. Last year he had some assignments at the very beginning of school that he was supposed to write about his family, and that was absolutely impossible. Uh-huh. He could not do it. Yeah. But you'd think maybe the one just about his life would have mm-hmm. been okay. Right. And now a year later, I think she probably thought, oh, it'll be okay. Right. Right. But it just wasn't. Well, and that's I think what what you find out in grief is that sometimes it just comes up and sneaks up on you, you know, and you don't expect to have the reactions that you do. But then being able to teach people that, okay, if that situation happens, you can name it, you can say, this is my grief, this is why I'm so upset, because this is what is, you know, that what is happening. But I think that's a big part of what Starlight does is to educate people on what it's going to be like, you know, as far as what to expect. Um, and then just having a place to process that. And, and, you know, I, one thing I felt was really helpful is before Christmas, we talked a lot about what Christmas Mm -hmm. will be like. Yeah. Um, for those of us that it was their, our first Christmas Mm -hmm. and people who it wasn't their first Christmas shared, what their first Christmas was like. And um, it was just nice because it was so scary. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like that, you know, we just had our one-year anniversary. And to be able to talk to that other mom who had their one-year anniversary two days before ours, it was really nice to be able to just talk to her and say, what are you going to do? Um, and just know that we were going through the same, mm-hmm. the same thing. Absolutely, um, It's just so important, I think, to find other people mm-hmm. that can 
kind of relate. Yeah, that can relate and and normalize things. Exactly. And it's healing. It's all that part of that process. And what you're doing here with this is not only healing you, it is oh, I certainly healing hope it will other help people. Heal other people. And uh, and so that's that's a huge gift that you are allowing us to have. So Oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in today and talking. I any other parting words that I you just, wanted to say? I do wanted to share with you um, how we got the name Starlight. Oh, absolutely. Because I sure. love I love that story. Um, a lot of times people think Starlight is a franchise, and it isn't. It is um, totally birthed from Seth's death. Um, and Starlight we named after all of our children. Um, Star is in honor of Seth. Um, when the kids were little, I would read them a book, Guess How Much I Love You, and it's that bunny rabbit book. And, and the mom bunny says, I love you to the moon, and um, the kids reply, and back. And so whenever I would put them to bed, I would say to the kids, I love you to the moon, and they would say, and back. All of them did that except for Seth, because when I said that to him, he would say he would reply, and to the stars, because he couldn't say his stars, <laughs> and he only could say stars. And um, so, star is in honor of Seth. Oh, that's and beautiful. Light is in honor of our other kids. And um, when we went back to our parents' house, where our kids were at, and when we had to tell them that Seth had died, in that in that um, moment, we had told them that we don't understand any of this, but we do know that at some point in their life that they are going to be used as lights with their story. And so light is in honor of our other kids. So um, starlight is just in honor of our children. So oh, that's a beautiful I story. Love, I love, yeah, I love that story. So thank you for letting me share that. Absolutely. And, and that's a nice way to wrap <laughs> things up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.